Hey church, I'm so excited to share this message with you, this sermon with you. I've got about 30 of my closest friends here in a studio in Seattle, a sunny, warm, balmy Seattle, I might add. Uh, some of the nicest weather in the union right now is in Seattle, Washington, which we are very, very proud of. Um, but if you have tuned in today or you're in this room and you have ever felt that following Jesus, or as it's called, Christianity, is hard, difficult, challenging, upstream, uphill, wind at your face. This is too hard. This is the sermon for you. One of the heart behind this message in my own life is when Christianity starts getting hard, I personally know something's off. Something's off. Now, I'm not saying that you're not going to have challenges, difficulties, or maybe friends or family members who are like, oh, boy, here comes the Christian cousin. Here comes my Christian aunt. Oh, boy, here comes prayer warrior auntie, you know, to the picnic, to the hangout. Oh, boy, here, you know, here's my little brother showing up again at the burger place, and I'm sure he's going to talk to me about Jesus. So you're going to have some challenges where maybe everyone isn't going to be pleased to see you all of the time because you are that Jesus follower. But I'm talking about in your own life, you want to grow. You want to become more loving. You want to become more kind. You want to become more gracious. You want to become a better learner and a listener. And yet you're looking at your body of work, maybe during this pandemic and going, I'm not really making any progress. I've found an amazing trend, or I should say an alarming trend, not amazing. And that is most of us feel like we've lost ground during these difficult couple of years, most of us, uh, in a number of different ways. Professionally, people feel like they're losing ground. Socially, people think they're, uh, people feel and are in some cases losing ground. Relationally, mentally, um, <clears throat> mental health has never been more of an uphill climb than it is right now. I am having countless conversations with church members and friends about their mental state, their perspective, how they're seeing themselves, seeing their world, seeing their job, if it still exists. And so as a result, when it comes to difficult, uh, someone, I text a, a pastor today, um, and I said, how you doing? And the pastor said, good, I think. And I was like, yeah, that about sums it up. You know, when someone's like, hey, how are you? You're like, good, I, I think, unless you're going to tell me something that won't make me good, right? Like, you know, how about this right now? Have you heard? And you're like, what? Right? I mean, because there is so much calamity, so much injustice, so much tragedy, so much pain, so much loss that probably has always been there, it's never just been this apparent to all of us collectively at the same time, or so it seems, Right? And so as a result, news right now is very rarely good. Hey, did you hear the news? And we all brace for bad news. That's hopefully why you're watching this broadcast or in this room, because you're looking for good news. And you've come to the right place, okay? We are committed to the news that is good, the news that is life-giving, the news that is hope-filled, the news that is full of purpose, and the news that is full of a person who is more good. He is gooder than good. He is beyond our understanding and definition of good. Therefore, the news about him is good. So we're going to talk about that good news. We're going to do it in a way to help you and I to understand what really is the makeup and the constructs of our relationship with God. 
Um, spiritual growth is a really interesting concept. Growing up, spiritual growth was taught to me, basically, it was you get in, what you get out, what you put in. Right? By the way, my football coach told me that too, so that's weird, right? Like, my science teacher told me the same thing, so that's weird, right? Like, my, my, my tennis coach, I'm like, you, you, you play tennis? Yes. My tennis coach, Grateful Dead, big Grateful Dead fan, always showed up high to practice. He was the best. Um, he told me the same thing. He said, what you put in, you'll get out. So here's the issue I take with preachers everywhere. Why are we still preaching what football coaches preach? Tennis coaches, science teachers, like, and shout out to all coaches and teachers everywhere. You are the heroes in this room, whatever room you're watching, or any room in the world for that matter. So no shade on any of my coaches or teachers. I'm just saying when it comes to telling the story of Jesus and communicating what we call the gospel or the news that is good, we ought to be a little bit different because by nature, our message is supernatural. So I would like to propose to you that Christianity is unique. And my message today, my message while you're watching is not that, hey, you're going to get in or you're going to get out. I keep reversing that. You're going to get out what you put in. If you put in the time of prayer, if you put in your time in scriptures, if you get the little star on the chart, anybody grow up in Sunday school, okay, and every Sunday you'd show up and whoever got the most stars, and there were blue stars, and there were red stars, and there were yellow stars, all kinds of stars that meant different things. And we basically were teaching young minds that when it comes to God, it's no different than your grades. It's no different than working on your car. It's no different than working on athletics. If you put enough time and enough energy and enough smarts, you'll get good at it. So it's in moments like this where we're like, I'm not good at being a Christian. You ever felt like that? I'm just not good at it. I still have friends. The number one reason they're not Christian is because they're just not good enough and it's too hard to do it. Where like I would rather just do, do, to do whatever I want, say whatever I want, with whoever I want, watch whatever I want, think whatever I want. I feel like Jesus is a cosmic principle and he's going to be managing my behavior. And that's exhausting because life is hard enough and Christianity just makes it harder. So I'm really not that into it. If you have ever had that emotion. Now, if you haven't had that emotion, you obviously are a direct descendant of Mother Teresa. For the rest of us, right, we had that emotion a lot. This is just too hard. This is just hard. This is just hard. You ever had the thought, like, it'd be nice to be a, like, 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 just to take on, like, the bad gal, bad guy persona. I'm just going to be the bad guy. You know, it's like, because it seems like floating downstream, right? And sometimes our Christianity feels like you're fighting a current. You're fighting a headwind. It's like when your parents told you they walked to school uphill both ways in the snow when they were kids. You're like, and there is a metaphor for my relationship with God. It's hard. If, in fact, that is true, I take issue with these words we're about to read from Jesus. John chapter 15, we're just reading a couple of verses. We don't have time to exegete all of John 15. That would be far too much of an assignment to bear at this point. But listen now to the words of Jesus. John 15, 5 to 7. I'm the vine, you're the branches. When you're joined with me and I with you, the relationship is intimate and organic. The harvest is sure to be abundant separated, you can't produce a thing. Anyone who separates from me is dead wood gathered up and thrown on the bonfire. But if you make yourself at home with me and my words are at home in you, you can absolutely be sure that whatever you ask, you'll be listened to and acted upon. 
This is how my father shows who he is. When you produce grapes, when you mature as my disciples. Now, many of us in this room or watching right now have heard the metaphor used from Jesus. John 15 is one of the great passages of the words of Jesus ever given as a gift to man. But we are told here that Jesus is likened to a vine and we are a branch on the vine. Here's a great place to start. Have you ever walked by a vine? Come on, you know where I'm going. Some of you have been in Bible school. You've heard preachers like me for so long, but it's a really, really good example. Have you ever walked by a vine and heard, Hoo! right? Like, no, you never heard vine striving. Think about it. You never walked by a tree and be like, Hoo! and you're like, what is that? That's the tree trying to pump out some apples. Oh, cool, cool. No, what's happening is God has set something in motion, hasn't he? Think about it. God set something in motion, seed time, harvest, right? It's a time to sow. It's a time to yield. It's a time to reap. It's times and seasons that God has set in motion. How does the apple tree know? It just knows. How does the vine know that it's supposed to pump out Grapes. How do all the vines know at the same time to pump out grapes? Well, God, God. We would say, God, God set this in motion. We have greatly complicated the human soul and the one that created it and their intention for connection. We have complicated that astronomically, and I'm going to prove it to you, in this passage. What I'd like to give to you as a gift is four observations to help your misnomer that Christianity is too hard for you. It's too noble of a task for you. That you'll never be as spiritual as dot, dot, dot. Come on, we all have somebody in our life who were like, if one day I could be like her, someday I'm going to be like him. You know what's amazing about life is when, really, really, when you really add it all up, we're all just human beings. We're all just human beings. And you never cease to amaze me. And don't tell my kids I told on them because I'm going to tell you something, a little secret about the Smith family. Smith family has heroes like any other family. And my kids have uh, athletic heroes. They have artists and entertainment heroes. But I'll tell you a little secret, and over the course of years, I've been able to try to you know, do my best to tell the story of Jesus to athletes or entertainers or singers or actresses and actors. You know what's crazy? Without fail, any actor, singer, or athlete or artist that my kids meet, they almost immediately cease to become that same kind of like amazing. Because there's something in all of us that wants to believe that a few of us are not human. That a few of us, right, are like we float in our hallways and we never have to go number one or number two, right? There are some people that I can't even visualize going to the bathroom. You know what I mean? It's like, they are so great. <laughs> they are so amazing. I'm not saying I visualize people going to the bathroom. That really backfired. <laughs> I didn't, that, that, that didn't, that's not... That's not what I meant. That's not what I was saying. But um, I blame you for that. Like, what, blame the audience? What? You know? um, 
But you know what I mean? There's always those people. And what's crazy is my kids, once they meet, you know, in some cases, that person, you know, I mean, Justin Bieber is the hero of the Smith family and always will be. He's like family to us. But I think you understand what I mean. Once you meet, you're like, oh, man, they actually have skin. You know what I mean? Like, it's not plastic. It's skin. Shoot. Like, this person is just really average and normal. And so I say that only to say, because we don't have time to really get into it, comparison is really one of the great thieves of our relationship with God because it perpetually tells us we're not good at this. And I want to say that you're a lot better at connecting with God than you're even aware of. And I'm going to prove it to you. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. When you're joined with me and I with you, the relation intimate and organic. Now, I want to make an observation that's very important, and that is nowhere in this passage will you find a very distinct and deliberate description of what it means or how you become a branch in the vine. It's very intuitive language, and you, if you get a chance, read all of John 15, and there is not a lot of language. There's definitely a hair in my mouth, but I did just get a haircut. I'm not going to lie. I just did get a haircut. I hadn't had a haircut in a long time. My wife even said, how long has it been? And I was like, she's like, you've been wearing a hat every day. And I was like, that's kind of offensive to me because I thought every day you said I was handsome. But anyways, <laughs> the point is, um, <clears throat> nowhere in John 15, I'll be careful, John 15 is not a here's what you need to do passage. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Okay, how do you become a branch? Go ask a branch. How'd you become a branch? Just a branch. How'd you become a vine? Just a vine. I've said this before, I'm gonna say it again. You were made to connect with God. Don't forget that. You were made to connect with God. You were more made to connect with God than you were made to connect with other human beings. It's the primary reason you were made was to connect with God. So we have made so much about teaching people to pray when actually it's a primal cry. It's like talking to yourself. It's like talking to your dead relatives. And if you haven't done that, you don't have any relatives that are dead. Okay? And I don't mean like I'm actually, like my dad doesn't talk back, but when I came in this auditorium today at this location, um, you know, my dad's 71st birthday, don't tell my mom. Um, I was like, hey, dad. I don't even know if you can hear me, but I'm doing my best with this church, man. You really tricked me into this one, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm here. And just, you know, and I'm like, I don't even know how this works. I think we're already all there together, you know what I mean? But, but, but when it comes to talking to God, like, we really have to collectively calm down as Christians. We have taught people, we have overtaught people about prayer. We have. We've taught people certain words to say and phrases to say, and that's not necessarily always really imperative or important. It really is primal. He says the relationship is intimate. And here's the operative word. I love it in the message because the message unpacks some of the original language. It's organic. And here's my first observation that's important. If your Christianity is too hard, you need to go back to organic Christianity. Now, if you look at obviously food and the organic movement, and by the way, a lot of it is not legitimate. You got to do your research. And I had a friend who, who owned an organic food company. And one day late in New York City, we were hanging at his house and he's like, yeah, none of it's organic. And I was like, wait, what? He's like, I sell to this supermarket and this supermarket and none of it's organic. We just put organic on it. And I'm like, ha, you know, like my world is crumbling, you know? 
Anyways, I don't know why I shared those details. No names, no stores, so now you don't know, all right? But true story, he's like, yeah, none of it's organic. And I'm like, I know it's like one in the morning, but say that again. <laughs> you live a lie? This house you paid for? Anyways, um, organic is no additives. Let's just define it for a second. It's no additives, right? Organic is, in theory, it's how it was originally intended, right? It's like you get a little beef from the cow, you take that beef and you serve it, right? It's like, it's, it's, it's organic. I'm not trying to insult anyone's intelligence. Organic now is a overused term. I want to say it again. Your relationship to God is organic, which means when you add additives, that's, that's not necessary. When there are additives, that's a better, that's a better, that's a better phrase. When you add additives, it's like, all right. When there are additives, it ceases to be organic. Probably, I'll be careful, probably the scariest theology or philosophy or approach to Christianity that is still proliferating in our culture today is Jesus plus anything equals spiritual growth. Jesus plus Bible memory. Be careful now. Jesus plus perfect church attendance. Now, some of you grew up in the 70s and 80s and 90s like me, and church attendance was everything. Now we got, you know, church home. You could be at the lake right now watching something. You know, you're good to go, right? Like the world is changing. Somebody say hallelujah. Okay, but like Jesus plus volunteering at church. Jesus plus morality. Jesus plus no cussing. Jesus plus not smoking anything. Right? It could be, and we, and we laugh, but there were days where it was Jesus plus no hats. Sorry, Stephen. <laughs> I mean, this was a real Jesus plus no long hair. Come on, gentlemen. This was a real thing, and we laugh, but it wasn't that long ago. It wasn't that long ago, Right? And in some cases, the gospel was used to set other ethnicities above others. Jesus plus. We have decimated communities and cultures and countries with Jesus plus. Jesus plus. I've preached whole sermons in churches only to get emails back saying, Judah, your sermon didn't have any practical takeaways. And I'm like, listen, ladies and gentlemen, we are literally dying a slow relational death with all of our practical takeaways. There are some things I can't just serve up a prepackaged takeaway. And that's where prayer kind of lands sometimes, where it's like, now here, you pray this, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Like the, Jesus did, 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 the Lord's prayer isn't just supposed to be repeated mindlessly. I encourage you to repeat it. You certainly can repeat it. You could also not use it at all and just let your own heart cry out to God. Right? But we are, we are so uh, predispositioned for practical takeaways. Tell me how I, it's goal setting, it's, it's, it's a, a cerebral kind of approach to life, all these things that are pervasive in our culture, which aren't inherently wrong, they just greatly affect our connection with God. And so we treat God like a principal, like a coach, like a trainer, like a, and he is the lover of your soul and the father of us all. So he's not to be treated like a trainer or a preacher or even like a river guide. 
That's that no, he's a dad. He has revealed himself with his own examples that we can just go ahead and take, right? He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. That's an interesting distinction because in reality, we just call that the vine. Even the distinction is like, what's this? This is the branch of the vine. If I was there with you in some vineyard, I'd be like, homie, that's just the vine. Right? Like, it's just the vine. It's just like, you be like, what is this? You're like, that's a tree. No, but I mean like the limb. What is this? It's still the tree, bro. Still the right answer. Still the right answer. Right? Like, he is the vine. He's all consuming. He's all resourceful. He's everything you need. You can't put him in a box. You can't treat him like your Sunday school teacher. This isn't about you as much as it's about him. So it's organic. It's organic. If your Christianity is getting too hard or you're not good enough, what are you adding? Allow the person of Jesus to pinpoint what you've added. For the customs and traditions of men and women make the story of Jesus and the message of Jesus no longer effective. That's how destructive our additives are. That's how destructive. You can take something like a strawberry and pump it full of so many chemicals to make it redder than it was ever supposed to be, and it will not serve your body nearly to the degree that a healthy, organic strawberry can. Right? And, you know, I mean, we can talk about salmon. Y'all want to talk about salmon? Like, talk about organic salmon versus harvested salmon? I'm from Seattle. You want to talk about salmon? Salmons piled on each other in a little cesspool where they're eating each other's stuff and then they serve it up. You want to talk about salmon? You want to talk about hydrogenated oils? Like, Judah, we're not. Red 40? Like, relax, bro. Relax, all right? But spiritually speaking, let's get back to the main point. These things can really hurt us in the process and make us believe that what we're taking in is somehow wrong. It's what we've added to it. And predominantly what we add is traditions and customs and cultural norms, things that we think are right up there with godliness, right? Cleanliness is next to God. It's not even close to godliness, okay? No offense, (laughs) but it's not even close to godliness. That is just so far from God helps those who help themselves. Terrible horrific theology and philosophy, but these are, pro- just be a good person, man. i tell you what it's all about. It's all about being a good person, as if there are those people, yeah. right? Like it's, it's not just about being good. It's, 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 it's about being saved. It's about a superhero who we were always predispositioned to know and connect with and walk with. It's Organic. Here's a question you can ask yourself if your Christianity's gotten too hard or you're not good enough in your relationship with God. What have I added? Holy Spirit, help me pinpoint what I've added and help me eradicate what I have added. Every time I step on stage, or in this case, step on the pavement in this uh, studio, um, I always have that last minute just like, dang, um, I don't know if I'm really qualified. Um, 
And I have talked to great heroes about this and preachers and mentors and board members now. And I, I, I try to incorporate in every sermon that Bishop T.D. Jakes is a board member now. And we talk all the time. I don't want to get into it. But he's probably from Chicago. He's not. But um, <clears throat> I love Bishop. Um, but we talk about brokenness and how imperative it is. That's where the oil flows in a broken vessel. And, and so what I do every time I walk on stage, we'll call it stage, is I have to relinquish again any of my um, impulses and desires to walk here based on my own criteria and my own performance. Yeah. Now, I got to be honest, some Sundays and Saturdays and Wednesdays, it's really convenient because I have had a really good run for a few weeks. You ever been there? You're like, you're going into work and you're like, it's going to be a good week because I've been good. You ever done that? You're like, I have been, and for those of you married, I have been such a sweet spouse. I have been amazing to my kids. I have, I, I, I have, I have uh, eradicated all proclivities and anything that alter my mind. I am free. I am holy. I am sanctified. It's going to be a good week. <laughs> we expect good based on our performance. Jesus plus my performance. Jesus plus my holiness. That, that qualifies me. No, just Jesus. Just Jesus, it's organic. The harvest is sure to be abundant. Separated, you can't produce a thing. We're going to keep moving here. Number two, second observation. Striving is separation. Let me explain striving to you. Over and over in Scripture, you'll notice, particularly in the teachings of Jesus, he talks about striving. For without me, you can do nothing. This idea of striving is something very simple, but it's so prevalent, and none of us want to admit it. I don't recommend that we start walking around going, you're striving, you know, because it would be like all the time. Striving is this. It is action or effort apart from God. Now, if you don't have a problem with this, let me tell you about mine. There are a number of things I intuitively include God in, like preaching. I can't remember if I've ever discluded God in my preaching. I've always been like, oh God, have mercy. You know, like, please help me. Everyone's going to be sitting there going, start whenever you're ready. And I'm like, Okay, you know, like, and, and, and sermons are funny because they're like art. You just kind of write them in your head or your heart, and then you're like, I hope this resonates. That resonates? I don't want it to resign. I hope this resonates, you know. Um, and so it is, a little, it is a little iffy, so you, you all know what that feels like in your own respective uh, uh, job, gift mix, and ability, where you're like, man, I got to include God so he shows up at my big uh, uh, board meeting. And he shows up at my, but, but like, When's the last time we just included God in our, like, TV watching? <laughs> Why? He's doing other things with other, with other, like, people that are doing, like, board meetings and preaching, you know? Like, are you like me? Like, have you ever, like, come home from work, if you will, and you kind of, like, you're like, okay, God, great day of work. Good to see you. I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> right? Y'all know what I'm talking about? And you walk in your house, you're like, shut up and sit down. I'm in charge of this house. Dinner was supposed to start 15 minutes ago. Smith, kids, let's go. You know, it's like there is no sign of God anywhere in the Smith household because parenting is on Chelsea and I, right? Right? Dinner time is on Chelsea and I. I don't see God making dinner. You know, like think about all the things we start telling ourselves, like, well, if God did my job for me, I would let God do it. But God gave me the strength to do it, so I'm going to do it. But the point is partnership. The point is partnership. 
The, things, the reason it's getting hard is because you're trying without including him. And by the way, including him is not complicated. Including him goes something like this. Help! Everyone's like, I just need a preacher to teach me how to include God in every part of my life. No, you What? No, you don't. It's like anything else. Is it, is it hard for you to include people you really love? Think about that. When I'm really excited about something, I want to include everybody. Chelsea knows this is true. I want everyone to see it. I actually don't enjoy it until everyone enjoys it. And then if you're not enjoying it, I'll be like, why are you? What, what, look at this. You know, like, I, I want to share it with people. No, you know how to include God. Anything separate, anything that we just don't. And by the way, I don't think we intentionally go, I'm going to come home from work now and leave God on the porch. As if you could. We don't mean to. We just get in habits, don't we? And then we're like, man, marriage has been so hard, said everyone in COVID. You know, everyone's like, I'm single. I so wanted to get married and now COVID. Imagine if you were married. You know, but anyways, um, <laughs> I love all these single people. Like COVID's been so hard single. Oh, has it? Try marriage. <laughs> I love marriage and money. They're the same thing. They're neither good nor bad. They just make you more of what you were before you had it. That's the only thing. Marriage is like, oh, this is who I was. Yeah, when you can't sit at home by yourself, watching whatever you want, eating whatever you want, talking whatever you want, think about whatever you want, and now you got somebody you got to include, we find out who you really are. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? How many know when we're broke, it's like, man, I just trust the Lord. And all of a sudden, here comes all the money, and you're like, well, maybe I don't need the Lord as much. <laughs> you know? I, you get one of those bumper stickers, he who dies with the most toys wins. You know, and you're like, you were never that person. But money is an amazing thing. So is marriage. Okay, here's the point. Let's be people who include God in everything we do. And I know this is so silly, but it can be something as simple as right before you walk through the door, Right before you get in the car, use thresholds, even physical thresholds to be like, God, I thank you. You're coming right in to dinner tonight with the family. Yeah. One of my favorite things to do is to invite God to give me uh, random impulses. And I, I, this is a big part of my pastoring is today, for instance, I was praying about uh, people and, and a, a, a lady, uh, I won't say her name, but she's a friend of mine and she works in the golf industry. And I just started praying for her. And I started thinking about her and she's a friend of uh, kind of a bunch of our friends. And, and I text her, I said, hey, how you holding up? And she said, did you hear? And I said, no, I didn't. And, and she said, I, I tore my ACL. And I was like, oh, my gosh. She's like, How, why did you text me today? And I was like, I was just praying for you, and I just felt like impressed to text you. Now, it doesn't always. Sometimes I text people like, are you okay? They're like, actually, I'm having the best day of my life. And I'm like, and that's why I'm praying for you. You know, like, <laughs> um, why is it as pastors when we tell someone we're praying for them, they're like, oh, my God, my life's falling apart. You're like, I knew, I knew I should be praying for you. But I, like, don't want your life to fall apart, so I don't know why I take pride in that. But anyways, um, just asking God, like, God, throughout the day, wherever I am, just give me thoughts. And then learning to work with those thoughts. Like, if someone randomly comes to your mind, you got a decision to make. You can go, oh, that's just out of nowhere, that person just came into my mind. Or you can be like, listen, I got a connection with God. We're walking hand in hand, shoulder to shoulder. He's my father. He's just giving me a nudge. He's giving me a nudge. And I'm going to go take it as a nudge. 
send them a text, call, whatever it is. It's just following the leading of the Holy Spirit in any environment will help you include God in everything you do. One of the reasons we have such extreme spiritual fatigue is striving, striving. The Old Testament priests wore linen. I love linen. But the reason they wore linen, it was a portrait and a picture. Linen took the sweat off the body. And the picture in the new covenant now is no stressing and no striving, just worship and relying. So no sweat, no sweat. I'm not saying you don't work hard. The sweat represents, again, activity and action apart from God. You playing God in your own life. You know why oftentimes our job overwhelms us? Because we forgot to involve the one who made the economy to begin with. We forgot to tell him we got bills in two weeks, right? And like, well, I'm just going to include you in my bills. I'm going to include you in it's such an amazing practice, and we could talk more about that. Anyone who separates from me is dead wood gathered up and thrown on the bonfire. Again, that is extreme language. It is trying to be extreme. It's trying to get the listener to go, wait, dead wood, bonfire, what, me? God wants to throw me on the bonfire? Listen, Scripture interprets Scripture. John 15, 5 to 7 can't mean that you are thrown on the bonfire because God so loved the world, John 3, 16, that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. God wants you to have life. God wants you to have life more abundantly, John 10. 10, right? Scripture interprets scripture. So this isn't saying, listen, you're dead wood. I'm going to gather you up. I'm going to throw you in the fire. It's saying all of your works and all of your efforts are empty, hollowed, and dead and should be burned in a fire unless you are following the partnership and leadership of the Holy Spirit. That's not to be overthought. You can do it. You can do it. Lastly, and we're coming to a close. If you make yourselves at home with me, my words are at home in you. You can be sure whatever you ask me to listen to and act upon. Observation number three, and then we'll do number four, and, and we'll be done, and we can have the piano playing because it makes me feel good. Um, I feel so selfish, but I'm really, people are like, I love the piano part. I'm like, oh, yeah, that, that's for me. You know? But anyways, um, if you make yourself at home with me, and, and here's, when I read something like this, I'm like, God, how, how do I explain to my friends at church, how do they make themselves at home with you? And again, no explanation. No explanation. In other words, you already know. It's not a trick. If you make yourself at home with me, how do I make myself at home with you? You will, you know. You will, you know. Oh. It's like, I, I love how the Bible, be, you know, begins. In the beginning, God. You're like, oh, quick question. When uh, was this? Where? How? What was the day? What was the time? What was the, the wait, none of that's to, in the beginning, God. So God was before the, be, the beginning. So there's a lot of stuff before we're even, to, yeah, right. It's also what the Bible doesn't say. It's not just what the Bible says. If you make yourself at home with me, my words are at home in you. And you're like, perfect. And this is where Christianity gets it wrong. We're like, you know how you make yourself at home with God? Read your Bible every day. You pray every day and you be at church every day. Don't you smoke or wear hats. Always get like a Southern accent. (laughs) But here's what I'll tell you. You know he's at home with you when what he says is at home with you. Now, I want to show you how to read your Bible because how you're reading your Bible may not be the way Jesus teaches people to read the Bible. Do you know Jesus taught post-resurrection? Do you know he taught people to read the Bible differently? Do you know that? Luke chapter 24, check it out. Then he said, everything I told you while I was with you comes to this. All things written about me in the law of Moses, in the prophets, in the Psalms have to be fulfilled. 
I'll say this, in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is only relevant as it points us to Jesus. That's why the world doesn't understand. You have a maniacal, vindictive God in the Old Testament. What is going on with the Bible? By the way, we don't need the Old Testament to prove the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So I want to set you free. The Old Testament is inspired by God, and it should be used in teaching and preaching and doctrine. It is sound. It is good. But if you know anyone who's really upset about the Old Testament, can I just give, set you free? Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. I don't need the Old Testament to reveal the... But I can. But it, it ain't about Abraham. I don't care if Abraham didn't even exist. I know Jesus did. Now, people don't like this kind of preaching. Well, if Moses isn't real, Jesus isn't. No, says who? Says who? Would you to the Genesis account I have issue with? All right, perfect. Anyways, back to historical fact. Back to historical fact. We got more proof of Jesus Christ than Abraham Lincoln. Back to historical fact. Everything I told you I was with you, the law, the prophet, Psalm had to be fulfilled. So it's been fulfilled. Jesus has fulfilled it. He went on to open their understanding of the word of God showing them how to read their Bibles this way. What way? What way? What way? What way? Show them how to read their Bible this way. What way? Go back to the verse before. Go back to the... All things written about... All things written about... Me! He taught them how to read their Bible this way. What's the Bible? Read the Bible. All of it is about me, Jesus says. So you go to the law of Moses and you look for Jesus. You go to the prophets, you look for Jesus. You go to the Psalms, you look for Jesus. You go to the book of Job, you look for Jesus. You go to Proverbs, I don't just need wisdom, I need Jesus. So many businessmen and women tell me, well, I read a proverb every day because God gives me the wisdom for my job. I'm like, y'all can have wisdom. I want the one who is wisdom. Like, I, I need more than just like good understanding. I need the man who is understanding. I need him in the boardroom with me. I need him in the pulpit. I need him at the dinner table. I need him in my home. I need him in my bed. I need him when I walk. I need him when I talk. I don't just need law or prophecies or songs. I need Jesus. So this is how we read the Bible. We look for Jesus. We look for Jesus. And you got to understand that the Bible has to be read backwards. We've talked about this before. It needs to be read backwards. It needs to be read backwards. Let me say it like this. The epistles inform the Gospels, and the Gospels inform the Old Testament. There's much more to say about that. But you understand. So post-resurrection is where you start. For the resurrection has changed everything. And now resurrection informs the life and times and ministries of Jesus. You understand what I'm saying? So when Jesus says, but I say, but I say, you know, in the Sermon on the Mount, when he keeps upping, he's like, but you say, if you lust at a woman in your heart, or you say, if you sleep with a woman, but I say, but I say, if you even think about her in your mind and in your heart, you've committed adultery and you're an adulterer. And a lot of people say, see, Jesus ups the ante. See, Jesus is about holiness. But I am telling you, if you go post-resurrection, 
Why would Jesus be preaching about these things in the Sermon on the Mount? Because post-resurrection, he is the resurrection and the life. He is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets and the Psalms. So what he's actually saying is, do you feel inadequate? Do you feel like you don't measure up? Do you lust in your heart after people? Then you know what you need? You need a superhero who can beat death, hell, and the grave. And so the message of the Sermon on the Mount is not your moralism. It's Jesus. So we take the Sermon on the Mount and we run to the resurrected Jesus and we say, I am not good, God, and I need you. And Jesus said, all right, here. He taught them to read their Bibles this way. Don't, don't look for knowledge. Look for Jesus. Don't look for statistics about Christianity and its history to impress others. Look for Jesus. Oh, I wish I could just, and I'm done, I'm done. I'm, I wish I could put one, one of the old saints on this chair. And you ever talk to an old saint, an old believer, an old Jesus follower who, who just, who, who, who will never impress you with their Bible knowledge. You ever met one of these old Christians? They don't know a lot of verses, but boy, they know the ones they know. And the ones they know have already been put in play. You ever met those Christians? They, they don't know nothing about Habakkuk. They don't even know about Mordecai. They don't even know that Methuselah is in the Bible, and they got no time for Melchizedek. Bartholomew. You, you can't even tell these people Bartholomew was a disciple. Bartholomew? <laughs> Boy, you talk to one of these saints, they're like, love your neighbor. As yourself, you know, Pastor, I've just been dedicated my whole life to love my neighbor because Jesus loves me so much. And so, you know, for me, Pastor, it's just about loving my neighborhood. And you're like, oh, how much of the Bible do you read? I, I read a fair bit, I guess. Okay, Pastor, the truth is, I do the verse of the day on the Bible app. That's what I, it's all I do. <laughs> when did this turn into a competition of who knows the most? Like that matters. We all running around these church conventions and retreats and conferences and advances telling everybody all the stuff we know about the Hebrew Bible and the words of Jesus. I don't totally care anymore. At 42, raising teenagers, I'm like, I need to talk to somebody who knows him. Who knows him and I just, look for Jesus. That's what I do. I open up my Bible and I go, Jesus, show me you. Show me you with Ruth. Show me you through Esther. Show me you in Matthew. I want to see you in the relationship that Paul and Timothy have. Speak to me from the church in Corinth and show me what you're doing and what you did. I want to see you, Jesus. Do you read the Bible the way Jesus taught post-resurrection to read the Bible? It's about him. That's all it is. That's all it is. He's the main character and I'm done and I'm done. Your words, his words will be at home in you. His words will be at home in you. His words, I'll never forget I met a preacher one time. He said, you know, Judah, I don't write sermons. 
And I said, that's not true. I've heard you preach a lot of sermons. He says, I never write sermons. I just look for Jesus and I just read my Bible. And then I get up on stage and I just communicate from the overflow. And I thought, well, that sounds really nice. But for the rest of us, normal human beings. <laughs> but the point is, isn't it? It's like, you, you, this ain't about getting so you can disseminate and, and, and communicate and and then you got that big Delta. You ever heard of that? I'm not talking about the Delta variant. I'm talking about the Delta, the difference when you like how you talk to people and all the things you know and how you live and that Delta starts to grow and you keep looking at the person people see and think you are and the person you really are. And you wonder, what are you going to do about this Delta? Um, let Jesus meet you here. <laughs> and then just, I don't read the Bible without Jesus. Does that make sense? I don't read the Bible without him. And that's one place I always invite him. It's really easy to remember because you're usually reading about him. <laughs> but it's like, Lord, go ahead and show me. Show me. And lastly, he says, um, you can be sure that I hear you. That's when it says, I'm, I'm, I'm done. He says, and uh, Luke, uh, sorry guys, back to, back to John 15. He says, and um, you can be sure that whatever you ask, I love it how the Message Bible says it because it really gets it right. He says, it will be listened to and acted upon. And there is the distinction Christians need everywhere. Does prayer work? Oh yeah, but it rarely works the way you want it to. And do you know why? Because most of life is a mystery. And any preacher who tells you different isn't telling you the whole truth. Why did this happen? Well, I don't know. Why did, I mean, I, the, the atrocities that have happened in the last two years, just in the country I'm from. And it makes you go to God and say, really? And so we pray. And the promise we're given is that he hears us and action is already in motion. And here's what I'm learning to get excited about. I used to pray and get excited about getting the answer I wanted. And what I'm learning to do is pray and get excited that the action he wants in response to my prayer is in motion. And here's what I know. I will get the answer in my lifetime or it will come in the legacy of my lifetime. But I know a God who is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which is to say he's the God of all generations. He doesn't think in terms of your linear lifetime. That's not his, that's not his economy, that's not his construct, that's not his. So when you talk to him from your linear lifetime, God, he doesn't answer the way you ask. Does that make sense? He doesn't go, 2021, I, I can't remember the month, July. <laughs> Hopefully you have empathy for me, we're in this together. July, 2021. Um, are you like me? I'll pray and then a clock starts in my mind, but I don't tell anybody. Yeah. It's been a week. It's been three weeks. Yeah. I've been praying this for six months, Lord. Do you know, that doesn't, 
that it, I can prove to you in Jesus' mind and thoughts, he's not like, oh my word, six months, where's the time gone? He's not from time. He's not from time. But here's what we, here's the promise. We're never given the promise that God's saying, if you ask me from time and space, I will answer you specifically from time and space. No, he doesn't answer from time and space. Think about it now for a moment. I'm not trying to be deep. I'm just trying to be honest. He answers from a realm that has no time, has no sun, has no moon, for he is the light that fills eternity. God! I'm preaching a sermon tomorrow. And the title of my sermon tomorrow is, Why Does the Storm Stop When I Get in the Boat? It's the title of my talk tomorrow. Because when Peter walks on water, the most inconvenient thing happens in the world. The storm keeps going until he's back in the boat. And Jesus is back in the boat. And then like the storm, it's like, no, no, the storm can go when I'm in the boat. I just need God to deal with the storm when I'm not safe. God, meet me. He's like, I will. And you're like, when? Have you seen the wind and the waves? It's like, yeah, I guess, kind of. And you're like, the scene's like cuts and they're in the boat and it's like, everything dies. And you're like, ah, wouldn't it have been cooler if it happened the time I wanted it, where I wanted it? And here's what I know about God. When we pray, from the time and the space and the place we are, it seems to me, my opinion, bear with me, it is very rarely that God answers our prayers according to our time, our space, and our location. So you know what we do? We have taught people that they're praying wrong. Ladies and gentlemen, do you want me to show you the pathetic prayers in the Bible? bad prayers, dumb prayers. <laughs> prayers that weren't even prayers that God kind of turned into prayers. Yeah, I mean, it's, you ever, you ever read that scripture? I promise I'm done. It says Elijah was a man like us, or Elisha, Elijah, one of them. I always get them confused. And he prayed that it would rain or that it would not rain, and it did. You ever gone back to his incredible prayer in like First and Second Kings or whatever? He, his prayer is like, I see a cloud the size of a man's hand. Rain is coming. <laughs> That's a prayer? That sounds more like a sentence to me. You think this is about who prays the best? You think it's about who prays the best? No, he says, whatever you ask, it'll be listened to and it'll be acted upon. And here's what I know. Prayers never die. And I'm talking to God that I'm talking to God in ways that other generations will see the actions of it. I have told people this. I promise you, there are about 17 things going on in my life right now, and I never prayed for one of them. But in some cases, I was there when my dad did. I promise you, I have had the craziest experiences, and time doesn't permit for me to tell you, church, all the things that have happened in my life. But people have asked Judah, how did this happen? And I am telling you, he is the God of Abraham, and then Isaac, and then Jacob. Just be careful, Abraham. Be careful, Isaac, because what you ask for, God will probably give it to Jacob. And that's when you step back and you go, boy, I've gotten so drunk on my timeline. I've gotten so drunk with my lifetime. And he is the one, he is the eternal one. And wow, 
And now what I've gotten excited about is that the eternal one hears me. And that when I talk to him, motion starts to happen. I just think that's cool if that's okay to say. I don't even know what'll come from all of it. All of my prayers to play on the PGA Tour. I don't know what will come of those prayers. <laughs> and I'm looking at my kids and I'm like, I don't think you're answering it to them. Or like, you know, but you know, help their talent, God. But it's exciting to me. And I want prayer for you to be exciting again. I want you to relinquish the results of prayer to the one who only holds them. I want you to allow yourself to enjoy this connection with God that you were organically pre-wired for. It's not hard. It's not hard. Your work, Jesus said, is to believe. I trust you, God. You're doing better than you think you are. God is closer to you than you think he is. God is listening to you all of the time, even when you think you're talking to your ceiling. Tell you, he's so proud of you and he loves you so much. And I want to say this about Christianity being difficult and hard. You know, life is difficult and life is hard. Someone recently said, You know, those Christians. And I said, You know, actually, it's people. And Christians are people too. So we're mean, like people. Life, Christianity's hard. Life's hard. I can't imagine it without Jesus. I can't imagine it without my Father. God, I thank you for the minutes and moments we shared, just studying just a few verses in your supernatural storybook. I thank you for it. I thank you for what you're doing in our church. Thank you for what you're doing around the world. Just in this moment, in your living room, maybe you're listening in your car, maybe you're on a road trip, maybe you're with some friends, Maybe you're watching at halftime of your favorite sporting event. I know God's talking to you right now. And if you would like to receive the free gift of forgiveness that only Jesus offers, I want to remind you that is available to you always and forever. You don't have to be in church to access the forgiveness that God provides. He provided it through the person of Jesus. The Bible says he became sin. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. If you'd like to receive a right relationship with a perfect, holy God, Jesus, and only Jesus, has made that possible by simply receiving. That's what believing means, accepting the free gift. You're forgiven of all your error, wrong, and sin forever, past, present, and future, and you have a relationship with God that is unbroken for eternity. That's the gift only Jesus offers. If you'd like to receive that gift, wherever you are watching, just lift up your hand and I'm going to include you in this prayer. God, you see that young man at that park right now, raising his hand, looking at his cell phone, feeling his heart pound with the reality of your nearness. And I thank you for it. And I thank you for my new friend who's receiving the forgiveness that only you provide. We love you, Jesus. And lastly, God, I pray for our church today, for all of us who've gotten weary and worn out in our relationship with you. We have allowed additives and traditions and customs to complicate things. We just 
let go. And we trust you. Cast all our cares upon you because you care for us. In Jesus' name.